Tanya. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to this Spitting Seeds mm -hmm. episode. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Africa. Today we're going to be talking about missionary, missions a lot mm -hmm. and missionary work. When it comes to Africa, what's one of the most memorable things or kind of things that comes to your mind the most when you think of your time in Africa? Uh, well, I was there for three years, and um, man, so many good memories. But probably overall, it's just the culture shock. You literally fall into like this completely different world that you could never have imagined while living here in America. So you come there and you see all these people who are living as if, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago people used to live, and they continue to live that way. And it's a really cool experience to see an environment that is completely different from, from ours today here in America. How did you end up in Africa and for such a long period? Because I know it's more popular for people to go for a week, for two, mm -hmm. but how did you decide to go for such a long time? Yeah, so when I was a kid, I used to watch TBN, and um, there was always this old man, and he was from Compassion Ministries, and he would be surrounded with all of these little kids from Kenya, and um, he would be saying that there's a lack of missionaries in Kenya and or in Africa. Um, honestly, I don't even remember what country he said um, in Africa. But um, I just remember watching that commercial and thinking, I'm going to be there one day. But I also come from a family that is um, missionaries. My grandpa was a missionary. My uncle is Alex Fedorchuk, who's a big, well-known missionary. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just always felt like I would be a missionary when I grew up, so. Did you start off with any short-term missionary trips before that, or was that your first and only long one, or how did you end up there? So, I have this wonderful cousin, Anna, who, um, got me connected to youth ministry way mm -hmm. too early. I was 12 years old when I started mm -hmm. going to youth, and, um... I just remember uh, at 12 years old, there was also a person saying that there's going to be a two-week missionary trip to Mexico, um, and I ran home, and I told my mom, I'm like, I'm going to go, mm -hmm. and she was like, uh, you're 12, you're not going anywhere, and I went as a 12-year-old, and after that, I went four more times, and I absolutely fell in love with those two-week trips to Mexico, and uh, basically... Uh, t two of the times, um, one of the times was with you. And that, that wasn't the first time, though. Uh, I think that was my third time with okay. you. Um, yeah, and so we would either build a little home for a family when we were there, or we would do different kind of um, where we'd hop from orphanage to orphanage, uh, sharing testimonies, sharing the gospel, uh, providing, providing humanitarian aid. The third time that you went to Mexico... When you mentioned that, uh, can we talk about the horror story? Uh, <laughs> what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> we can edit it out, if anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gosh, where to begin? <laughs> so we were building a house, mm -hmm. and a random Mexican guy comes on uh -uh. a horse. No. Right next to the house that we were building, 
uh, there was a horse farm. Okay. And I pointed to you and I said, Vasa, I want to go on those horses. And he, and you were like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go do it. <laughs> so I came uh, to the horse farm, and I think it was you and one other person. I can't remember who was the third I person. I know who, who it was. It was I Vadim. was just uh, upset. Oh, yeah, Vadim. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so uh, the guy, the owner of the ranch, he was like, oh, get on the horse. I'll take you on a ride. And uh, anyways, we went on a really long ride, and <laughs> it seemed like we weren't going to get back home. <laughs> we, it was one of the most like embarrassing and like foolish stories that I remember, because we're in the middle of Mexico, in Tijuana, out of all the cities. Yeah, and, and I was in the mountains. And you were how old? I think you were... I was 13, 14 years 14 old. Years yeah, old. 14. So this random Mexican guy, we were like, oh, that's a good idea for a... You, yeah, little fourteen-year-old girl to get on the horse horse with a random Mexican guy, and it's not like on a wagon or anything. It's on top of yeah. the horse. And they're like, "Oh, I'll just give her a ride." Well, and without anybody coming along, we're like, "Oh, good idea, Tanya. <laughs> you should get on and go." And then five minutes goes by, ten minutes goes by, and we're like, "I think it was like almost an hour." Yeah, but then the longer I got back, but I remember we were in the middle of the mountains, and he tells me to get off, and I'm like, "What? No." I, take me back mm -hmm. and he's like no my home is pretty close by we should go to my home and i'm like yelling at him take me back now <laughs> and yeah. so finally he's like okay calm down calm down and he took me back and i i remember as soon as i got back you ran up and you were yeah. like get in the van now yeah, and i got in the van and i just started crying like crazy because it was like who knows what could have happened just now? That's yeah. just God's grace. I remember we were standing there, and 10 minutes goes by, and we're like, wait, what did we just do? We just <laughs> let a 14-year-old girl get on a horse with a Mexican guy, and he just rode up. I know. And I'm thinking, and then we started stressing. We were worried because what do you do, call the police and say, well, we helped. <laughs> helped her get up on a horse yeah. and we saw them right away and we thought it's a good idea <laughs> in the middle of Tijuana <laughs> but that's a that's a uh, tangent back to Africa yes so that was your beginning my steps first trip. <laughs> <laughs> of missionary missionary work what made me excited about missions yeah. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> how'd you end up in Kenya is there a specific ministry or who'd you know so when I um turned 17 I really wanted to go to a bible college and I ended up going to a random bible college in Ukraine um, that my uncle Alex um, had introduced me to and um, it was like a preparation mission college so um, basically we studied there and afterwards they send you out to missions and um, one of the options was Kenya and um I just knew that that was my country where I need to go because my whole, you know, childhood, I knew that I'm going to end up in an African country. So, yeah, so I ended up there um, at 18 years old and stayed there for three years. About your time in Africa, in short summary, your three years there, happy, stressful, hard, mm. if you could summarize in, in any way. Oof. That's tough. Um, it is definitely all the above. Um, it's the happiest place you'll be because the people of Kenya are just the most cheerful, happy, thankful people. 
yet it's the most stressful place where you will be because you're white uh, and Kenyan people who haven't seen a white person before, uh, they look at you like you're money growing on a tree and they're going to make up every story possible to get money out of you and lots of manipulation, lots of dangers that we experience, lots of sicknesses that we experienced. Um, so it's both. Um, you love it and you feel like you want to go home at the same time. <laughs> F from the sicknesses, mm -hmm. is it more that people there get sick and have don't have a great healthcare system or missionaries as well or are you guys come more prepared for that? I mean, in order to come to Kenya, the only shot that I was required was the yellow fever shot, mm -hmm. uh, which yellow fever currently does not exist in Kenya. So it was kind of like a um, mostly unnecessary shot in my opinion. Um, but what people get sick with the most in Kenya is typhoid and malaria. And um, I got sick quite a few times with it. Uh, malaria, a random mosquito bites you and um, it has malaria inside of it, you got malaria, you know, and uh, you just never know if that mosquito is gonna bite you. Um, so we would sleep under nets every single night um, because to prevent any mosquito bites at nighttime. But, you know, sometimes you're in, in your bed in the net and you can hear this buzzing sound oh, no. and you're like, oh no, it got inside the net. And all of a sudden in the morning you wake up and you have a fever and sure enough, you have malaria. So what are the main or the worst side effects and symptoms of malaria? So malaria, it comes in different forms. Um, there's a, like a stronger malaria and there's a weaker malaria. I've never had like an intense malaria like many people have had. Um, but my malaria was mostly like cold symptoms and you have like this fever, this weakness, um, that you feel. And, um, basically we, every single time we'd start getting that fever and that like, um, weak feeling and you start getting these chills, we would go to the hospital, get our blood drawn and check real quick if we have malaria. And then you would sit for three days on medication, um, it's basically a pill that you take uh, twice a day, and then in the end, um, it usually goes away if you take the medication for three days. Typhoid is a little bit worse. You have, like, just this nausea you're throwing up. You have diarrhea. I mean, it's very, how, very How difficult. common is that? Do people get sick with that as well? So typhoid um, is from dirty things. And because we're working in the slums, mm -hmm. um, if you're not washing your hands and sanitizing all the time, which I was young and a little bit reckless, so I would just oftentimes, you know, be hugging a street kid. And, I mean, the street kid has been living on a garbage trash, you know, dump all week. You know, he's dirty from head to toe. I don't wash my hands in the end. And then, sure enough... I would get typhoid. So um, it's really, it's preventable if you're being really careful about, you know, washing your hands as frequently as possible. But if you didn't have access to, you know, uh, hand sanitizer or washing hands on time, you can definitely um, 
struggle for a good week or two with um, just uh, the symptoms of diarrhea and headaches and uh, bone pain and things like yeah. that. You mentioned two things, going to the hospital and street kids. First, uh, hospital, how's health care there compared to even the United States or even Ukraine or other countries? If you go to the hospital, you get a pretty good care or they're pretty established there in Kenya specifically? So lately there's a lot more um, private hospitals that are being developed for um, people that have um, the income to pay for it. So, for example, missionaries or anyone that, you know, uh, has a, be a better income than the people in the slums can get better care. But um, the people of the slums, um, the, the, the public hosp hospital that they go to, I mean, it's terrible conditions. There's uh, hardly anywhere for them to bunk if they need to stay overnight. Uh, there's no medical coverage of any sort. Uh, if you're coming in, you have to have the money to pay for um, the expenses. Otherwise, you're not going to get treated. Um, that's why a lot of people end up being uh, dying from malaria in Kenya. It's not that they die because malaria is a deathly disease that can't be cured. It's because they didn't have the medication. They didn't have the money to pay for the medication to um, get cured from mm -hmm. malaria or typhoid. So it's kind of a country in a pretty heavy poverty, so that's kind of what you would expect. Yeah. Um, basically, there's nothing free, no free handouts that the country gives to you, um, which is why they're, they cling to missionaries um, if they do see a missionary because um, medication is not free, school is not free, um, you know, anything that we get really great opportunities here in America, they don't have those kind of freedoms that we have. Uh, street kids. Mm. You hear that reference a lot when it comes to, I guess, specifically Africa. What's the reference to? So in Kenya, um, a lot of kids end up on the street. And the reason behind that is um, one, they didn't have food at home, and they are more likely to beg for a coin or two and then go and buy themselves some food than to get food from their home. Um, or two, um, this is like a crazy thing that happens quite often, actually. Um, if a mother marries a new husband mm -hmm. um, because either she got divorced or her uh, first husband died. Um, oftentimes, the second husband will say, you have to choose me or the kids. Wow. And they end up in, living on the streets. The mom says, I'm sorry, I need a provider. So she ends up marrying this guy, kicks out the kids, and they're living on the street. And um, the worst part about street kids um, is they get addicted to sniffing glue. Um, and the reason why they get addicted to sniffing glue is when you sniff en enough of it, you don't feel cold. Mm -hmm. So uh, people have this idea that Kenya is f uh, really, really hot. Um, but there are areas in Kenya where, like where we were living near the mountains, nighttime is freezing, like very, very cold. And so when you're sniffing this glue, you get so high 
that you can sleep through the night without, you know, feeling the shivers the entire time. Um, so we worked a lot with the street kids and um, helped them to get rehab, helped them to get some education. And then our biggest thing was counseling and getting them um, either back home or to boarding school so that they get off the streets. So street kids is something that we would call homeless kids or those kids, for some reason, I'm imagining in general boys, are they pretty open to help? Or is there more of a troublemakers, their would call gang life or like, you know, crime life? Or do they know that, hey, I just need help? Let's say you would call normal kids that they know they just need help. They just need somebody to help them. Or do they get involved with crime and trouble? And when the missionary comes, how open are they to help? Mm. So I think it really depends on the age. So um, the kids that we were assisting were from age five. There are kids as young as age five on the street uh, to age 17. We did not work anyone above the age of 17 because usually they have become so addicted to glue that they're it's almost impossible to help them at that point um, because they are so addicted to the point where they need such strong rehab in order for their brain function to work in, in any way. There's a great um, movie on YouTube, actually. It's a documentary. Um, I'll, I'll have to uh, link it probably. But um, there basically it, it talks about how the sniffing glue um, eats up the brain cells to such an extent that like y your brain will never be fully healed even after going through a rehab process. So a lot of these kids older than 17 are struggling to that extent. Um, but the younger kids only just got started with the glue. That, that was like our primary focus of uh, trying to get those kids out of there before they get to that point of um, what the 17, 18 year olds are stuck with. So, so even at five years old, mm -hmm. parents, and is a, is majority of them orphans or is it parents that can't support them? I guess what's the main reasons the five or six year old would be fully living, you can say, a fully homeless life? I mean, the culture in Kenya is so different from America that it's like quite hard to explain how easy it is to kick your kid out like or or um one of your friends says hey i love the life on the street you should come join me and he just gets up and goes like like it's you know going to school like it's it's so easy for them to get up and do it because they hear that there's more opportunity on the street or there's more food on the street and they just get up and go. So um, it's pretty common to see a kid end up on the street, and majority of them do have a family to go back to. So we would do that counseling, and then we would um, start doing home visits with them and um, try to convince them to make that decision to come back home. And I mean, everything that we did, we made sure that the gospel was being preached so that, you know, it's always easier to make a better decision when you know the truth of the gospel because you want to live a better, you know, life for Christ after you know Jesus. So. 
That's awesome. And a little bit earlier, you mentioned the their hope for finances or help is from missionaries. When I think of missionaries, and I think, well, a lot of money is going through missionaries. Mm. You've been mm. there for a longer period of time. The money that gets sent over different ministries, not necessarily the ministry that you were with, but in general, money that goes to Kenya areas and minis- ministries there. How often do you see abuse or misuse of those finances? Mm. And I guess in your estimate, in your experience, how much of it ends up helping those poor families? I think it depends solely on the ministry. Um, We know ministries who um, there is a lack of a white person in charge of the ministry because they have... That sounds racist. I know, (laughs) I know. So here's the thing. Um, When you give a poor person money and you give them a big sum of it, they become so greedy so quickly to it because, you know, like it's their first time experiencing this big sum of money that they don't know how to live a, a, a fair life the way that we were taught in America to, to do, right? Because, I mean, we, I mean, uh, it's hard to explain, but Leslie, you're going to have to cut this. <laughs> Is it more of like uh, what I'm thinking, like, it, it is a good explanation that they've never ex- experienced that much money. I'm thinking it's, let's say, giving, what would, let's say, a young kid that never experienced a big chunk of money, you give him a lot of money, he will misuse it because maybe he, cause he's never experienced that, that kind of money. Because I think even in Western world, when a person's acquiring money, it's usually over time. So you, you adapt to it. You're learning as your income grows, as your money grows, you adapt to it. But if it comes out of nowhere... Like there's a random statistic where people that win lotteries, 85% go bankrupt mm-hmm. within like two, three years yeah. because they've never experienced handling tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And they grew up in America and they still go bankrupt a few years after winning the lottery. So if you look at um, Kenya, uh, Kenya has only been f- for a little bit over 100 years, been an independent country, mm-hmm. um, which and prior to that. They were run by colonies from England. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been so um, like their 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 morals, their their self worth is mm-hmm. so low that they don't know how to be um, a confident person. And I don't speak of all Kenyans like this because there are um, very well off, very well educated Kenyans. But the slum areas that we were working in, this is the the thing that we would co- constantly, um, you know, see. Um, working in the slum area, it would be very difficult for us to find a leader that we can trust with finances or just running something in general. Um, because the moment that we would not be present, they would start slacking off and not doing what we asked them to do and misusing the money you know um uh, oftentimes there would be short-term missionaries that would end up coming over to our ministry and 
they would see that, you know, the kids are all sleeping on really bad mattresses, for example, um, at a orphanage. And they all of a sudden have this huge compassion and they're like, that's it. We're buying new mattresses for all of the kids. And, um, and so they go to the store and they buy a hundred mattresses because there's a hundred kids at this orphanage. And, um, when they come back or when they put the, these mattresses there one year later, they come back, these mattresses are gone. And you're like, what in the world? What happened to the mattresses? We bought Mm -hmm. them brand new mattresses and the leader of the orphanage sold them, bought themselves this massive, uh, TV screen Mm -hmm. and is enjoying the TV screen rather than caring for the orphans because the, the leader doesn't have a compassion for the orphans the way that, you know, the short-term missionaries had. So, Mm -hmm. um, it is very difficult financially to run a ministry um, if, man, and this sounds ridiculous, but if you don't have the right leaders that you ended up um, finding for the ministry or or if there is not a long-term white person that came to, to do missions there, which is why a lot of times people end up staying full, you know, for the rest of their life in Kenya to to see that the mission goes on and um, so that it's not just a temporary five-year thing and then all of a sudden the street ministry is going to close or something like that. So is it fair to say, and not to discourage people from giving, that if you are sending money in general to a different country, that you want money to go through the person that you maybe personally know well and even all the spendings to go through that person, that you don't just hand over the money to a random ministry you see an ad on Facebook or TV? I think that for the most part, people are honest about money um, if they're running a ministry. Obviously, there are things that, like different ministries, um, see spending money in different ways. So, for example, I lived in a ministry, our ministry was called OK Africa, um, and we were very stingy about... Fr- frugal. Frugal, <laughs> stingy about how we would spend money so that every dollar would be accounted for. Um, and that was difficult. Uh, we were living each $500 uh, would be the the amount of money that we lived monthly support and um, we had five hundred dollars. So, did like, you have your personal expenses for five hundred dollars, or you receive five hundred dollars in general? So, I would receive five hundred dollars, which a hundred would go towards our house, a hundred would go towards our kitchen, and a hundred would go towards um, uh, travel expenses, and then two hundred you get to use in, you know, if you want to use them for yourself in any way because. I mean, you know, medical expenses sometimes come up um, if there's like a different kind of like random things that you you need those. You're still living. You're still living life. You're still a human. You still need at least two hundred to mm-hmm. to feel like a human and not a soldier. <laughs> Do you think when you're there for a long time and you have people visiting you on short-term missionary trips, mm-hmm. is that a big boost? Financially, emotionally, spiritually, 
or sometimes I hear that they could those short-term missionary trips can cause more harm than good. Where they come, the typical, you know, take pictures with the uh, orphan kids, post them on social media, and turn mm-hmm. around and leave. And so I guess your view on people that come for short-term and how can we do it better? So I think there's a lot of pros and cons with short-term missionaries. Um, for, for If we start with the cons or with the pros, um, it is good when a, a, a short-term person comes because if you come for two weeks, like for example, myself, the two, the the ten day or five day mission trips that we did in Mexico, those were the the fire starters for me to feel like, man, I want to do missions, you know. So missions is uh, short term is great, um, and oftentimes, for example, we were building a church. But we were so busy with all the, you know, day-to-day tasks that we were doing that we didn't have enough hands to build the church. So um, every year, two uh, two groups would come, one in the um, in the summertime and one in the wintertime. Um, there's no winter in Kenya, but um, they would come halfway through the year. And um, we would prepare uh, tasks for them that we knew we did not have the capability of accomplishing on our own. So for example, building the church. um, And then the other one is we would throw this huge camp. And if we didn't have all that staffing to run a camp, we wouldn't be able to create what huge, fun, extremely um, memorable camps that we did for the kids. And they're great too. I think too often, you know, how we come to church and we hear the same pastor preach sometimes, and sometimes we start not listening as well. If it's the same face that's talking mm-hmm. all the time, then like a new face that is talking is really, really helpful because um, it's new, new voice that you get to listen to and you want to hear um, what they have to share. So it is good for them to come. There are cons, of course, and I think one of my biggest cons is oftentimes, <clears throat> so to be able to kind of roll back and um, explain it a little bit better, when I first came to Kenya, I I remember that first month, I thought every missionary was doing it wrong, and I know exactly how I would do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there was 21 kids living in our house, and the way that my Ukrainian team was disciplining the kids or just the way that they were raising the kids was irritating me because I thought, well, in America we wouldn't do it this way. I know how I would do it, you know, or or saying there's a church um, that the missionaries are in charge of. And um, I would see some of the ways that they would be sharing the gospel, and I'd be like, well, you know, I think I would do it a little bit differently. Um, I would do worship this way. So a lot of times when people come, they have like this, they think they're much more compassionate than the long-term missionary. You know, they'll they'll... Uh, give the taxi driver three times more the money for mm-hmm. the trip because they want to bless him. Um, but they don't realize that from then on out, that taxi driver 
is oh. going to always expect every missionary who's there long term mm -hmm. to pay the same income as, um, uh, say, the people who came for the two weeks, you mm. know. So there's just like little things that if you don't know the culture well enough and you come for two weeks, very often you're more so there for your own benefit than you are for um, the benefit of actually blessing the people that you came to serve. So, um, so would it be fair to, for people that do go on short-term trips, to be very mindful and ask for advice from people that are living there mm -hmm. of kind of do's and don'ts and cultural norms and not to overstep and ruin it for people that are staying there for long-term after they leave. Now the long-term people have to reap the consequences of them, I guess, spoiling or ruining the people around them. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> if you came for two weeks, you have to keep in mind that you came to serve the people that the long-term people are serving. And you have to really stay in line with the things um, that the long-term people are doing and not try to um, make your own impact in that time um, in, in any way that would harm uh, the ministry for the long-term uh, missionaries. Got it. Living in Africa, mm. also heard about witchcraft there. <laughs> is, that, is that real? Is that just rumors, scary stories, or is that actually happening there? It's very real. Um, you don't see it so much in like the rural areas as you see it more um, like in the desert tribes. Um, but even in the rural areas, half of, I would say 50% of the people who would come to church on Sunday, on Monday they would be going to the witchcraft um, to get some kind of medication or to get some kind of uh, prophetic word from the witch. Um, is that even a term? Is a prophetic yeah, word? <laughs> some foretelling. Like a foretelling, yeah. yeah. Like and And it's so a part of their culture that they don't realize how wrong it is for them to go to the witch sometimes and and they're just they love jesus but they'll also go to the witch why is witchcraft so prevalent prevalent there um i think there was a paganist group to be honest this is not a question that i can really answer because uh, i don't know the depth of it but there was um Shamanish, sh shama shamans, shamans, yeah. shamans, mm -hmm. um, who practice witchcraft, and um, the shamans—it's uh, a huge. You have to skip the question. I can't yeah. answer that one very well. No problem. For your three years in Africa, what do you think your regrets are? For I guess being there, or maybe your time there, your regrets in Africa. Hmm. Or, go, or maybe reasons going to Africa? Um, I don't know if I have any regrets, to be honest. I absolutely loved my time in Kenya. If you buy me a ticket tomorrow, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that um, the only thing that I would have changed in my time in Kenya is probably um, 
that $500 stress. <laughs> um, so as Slavics, we have like this mentality that if you are a missionary, you can't have fun. You are basically a nun who dedicated her life to completely and utterly living for missions. And it's true. We did. We made that decision to completely give our life up. Um, you know, the American, uh, you know, American dream. We, we don't want to live the American dream. We want to live in a place where we can consistently and always share the gospel um, in a third world country. But I do remember how, like, we would have moments of burnout. We would get really, really tired because you're constantly giving. You're constantly sharing the gospel. Um, I was in charge of a um, school, a director of a school. Um, I was doing teen ministry, Sunday school, um, uh, street ministry, uh, helping out at the clinic, you know, and you're like Monday through Sunday is just jam packed with all the things that you need to do in order to make a difference in the country that you're serving. And there'd be just so much times where you're, you're serving so much that you're not spending as much time with Jesus because mm -hmm. you're just constantly like preparing the next, the next lesson, preparing, um, the next activity that you're going to do with people and you just, you get tired. And so there'd be times where it'd be like, all right, it's time for a vacation, you know? And every single time we'd go on vacation, our leader would be like, hey, make sure you don't post any of these pictures yeah. on social media. People can't know that you went to the ocean. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, like when I live in America, I can go on a vacation. How come I can't go on vacation as a missionary? Um, American missions are so much more understanding of people need a break, whereas Slavic um, supporters, financial supporters of missionaries, they feel like every penny has to be so accounted for or else, you mm -hmm. know? I remember the first few months i was like am i allowed to buy myself an ice cream mm -hmm. like what will people think that i yeah. spent my money so <laughs> irrationally which mm -hmm. is so stupid but but we felt so anxious that every dollar has to be accounted for and so i think that's the one thing that i would change i think i would have been a much more relaxed free missionary if uh taking more time off taking more breaks if for i yourself. took more time to to yeah re regenerate my my thoughts my mind you know just feel better before refresh but when you mentioned going on vacation i'm imagining when you say going to vacation in kenya i'm assuming that entails something different than going to a resort all-inclusive resort in mexico on a beach what would the vacation quote-unquote vacation look like in Kenya? <laughs> I mean, so Kenya is beautiful. There's so much to see in Kenya. Um, so I guess two of my favorite trips are completely opposites of each other. Uh, one is a motorcycle trip um, where we took seven days and uh, we uh, went to the desert on motorcycle and we got to see, you know, a lot of wild animals on the way and... Uh, 
uh, just experience Kenya in in a very national geographic way mm-hmm. <laughs> that we envision Kenya is like. So the area that I'm in is green, completely not the Kenya that we see on National Geographic. And um, the area that we would visit is like, you know, uh, uh, the people who um, are herding camels and sheep and uh, living in little huts and, uh, you know, just the National Geographic Kenya. Um, So that was one of my favorite trips, which, you know, um, I, I just like a little bit more of a wild, fun experience. And then our other trip was um, to the ocean um, because the Pacific Ocean is um, in Mombasa, which is uh, a part of Kenya. And um, we did go to a resort, believe Uh it or not. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The resorts are obviously not first class like ours. You know, it's not five star. I'd I'd give it a two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's quite simple. We would just get... um, a little uh, house for all of us uh, by the ocean side and um, I mean just relax by the ocean and um, you know enjoy a camel ride by the ocean um, I don't know the the enjoy some restaurant meals the things things nice. that you want that to ma- enjoy that, that you don't get to enjoy on the daily as missionaries <laughs> that makes sense if you're there for three years and you take a trip for a few days to recover rejuvenate mentally physically and spiritually mm-hmm. and you get to serve kids when you come back yeah much it's not better like you, after those five days like lose that spirit of serving you know you need it and and you really do you just you feel so much more alive after a break um so i think that that's definitely my top regret of you know, the three years that we were serving. But overall, I absolutely would recommend every person to come to Kenya because, I mean, the experience is life-changing. You come back home and you you don't care for the American dream anymore. You don't care to, you know, um, live that bougie lifestyle that, that at least Washington is super <laughs> pushing. <laughs> so... When you mentioned going on these trips, getaways, and the seven-day motorcycle trip, is it dangerous to do something like that across Africa? Let's say for Mm -hmm. a random white person to get on a motorcycle and go across Africa for seven days. Is that okay? Is that pretty accepted (laughs) or is that pretty risky? I mean... mean. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of both. (laughs) Um... It's it's dangerous in the sense of um, when you're driving towards the desert, like every other man has an AK-47 that he's walking around with. Um, and it's because the tribes fight against each other. Mm-hmm. And very, very um, rarely, I mean, I think there's only been a few instances where a white person was hurt um, in traveling to an area where there's a whole bunch of AK-47s <clears throat> walking around. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so in areas that are like the desert, 
they they see you they respect you um, most of the time they're very very kind to you i think the most dangerous thing about it is the scorpions that you'll see in the desert they can bite you and they hurt and they are you know deadly unless you go to the hospital in time uh, the areas that were most dangerous uh, which we had a terrible experience in um, there is a huge slum in Nairobi and um, we came there with uh, my now husband one time and um, we did get you know a gun at our both heads <laughs> oh my goodness and uh, got robbed from head to toe <laughs> okay more you have to <laughs> you expand on the story yeah um, <laughs> so our visas were expiring and we came to Nairobi to renew our visas and we had about three hours to kill before the visas would be ready. And my husband um, then was just a friend. <laughs> um, he he was telling me that there's that he wants to see a movie. He hadn't been in a movie theater in years, and we were, and I was down for it. Hmm. So we go we check our map, and um, someone on Google Maps made it look like there's an area that's super duper um like lots of activity lots of stores lots of um you know uh like a tourist area and my husband remembered that um that they're they're building a tourist a new tourist area in nairobi and he was like oh we should go there there's probably that movie theater that i need to go there too so we came there and while we're driving, we see that we're getting into the slum area. And we're like, this can't be it. Is this it? What's going on? This is not it. And so we're like, okay, well, at the next stop, let's get off. And let's wait for the next bus to come around so that we can go back to the center of Nairobi. And we got off. We probably took, the bus drove off. We took like a few steps down the hill. And sure enough had a gun to my head, a gun to my husband's head, and they ripped everything off of us, and uh, we didn't have a dollar in our pocket. <laughs> and the police gave us this tiny report on a ripped-up piece of paper <laughs> for us to go get new passports. And um, <laughs> So passports, everything was gone. Everything was gone. The only thing that wasn't gone was my phone because it, Roman had a random <clears throat> pocket um, that they forgot to check, and so my phone was our lifesaver. And um, there were some missionaries who were leaving that day from Nairobi, so we called them. They hooked us up with a little bit of money to get back home, and uh, yeah, we survived. <laughs> but it's, it's talk about making memories in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I would say we've had a very safe experience, um, as long as you're in pairs of two. Um, if you're a woman at seven o'clock, it's always dark because you're on the equator. Um, if you're outside, sure, you'll get raped. Um, if you're on the um, at the marketplace by yourself and you're white, um, if a lot of the guys haven't seen a white woman before, they'll, you know, want to touch you, want to, uh, you know, uh, touch your hair um, because they just want to tease you because you're white um so there's like little things that you feel uncomfortable about but then they become so normal that you almost forget that it could be dangerous <laughs> but do, do in your experience 
do you think when people come for short term for a few days for a week for two mm. and they haven't had these experiences are they more likely to get in trouble or do they try to stay close to home and close to people that are local that are staying there long term so they don't have the opportunities to hey i'm gonna go on a seven day bike trip or i want to go somewhere two hours away by myself yeah because they're there for such a short time or do they still have happen to get in trouble well we are very strict about rules um with short-term missionaries so we would always tell them at seven o'clock curfew you absolutely have to be home and so they would be home um by 6 45 um right before it gets dark um and in general uh we would get we would make their day so busy with tasks to do that um th there would there would be no time for you know going and doing something on your own that could cause any kind of danger or mischief so you kept yeah. mentioning this friend that you were going on the trip with and getting robbed mm. how'd you guys meet and <laughs> then what happened later um so i married to a wonderful <laughs> man named roman and um when i was studying in bible college i met him one time in ukraine and we just became cool friends and i told him well, we would skype we would do bible study bible, bible study skype so you met him in ukraine times. yeah okay <laughs> and um he is like the most uh social butterfly um so he uh got my contacts and he'd be like hey let's do a bible study and we would skype and uh do some very passionate about bible <laughs> <laughs> it was actually some of the best conversations <laughs> i there was no no flirting nothing just really deep bible studies actually believe it or not but i mentioned that i'm going to kenya and he told me that oh his cousin is the leader of the ministry that i'm going to and she had been inviting him so we ended up coming on the same day we served for two and a half years before we realized that uh we could actually be more than friends <laughs> not sure if i'm not committed to missions or to tanya <laughs> <laughs> no he definitely uh did not reciprocate feelings until <laughs> later on yeah i was the first to fall in love Cr crushing you a little bit on the missionary I boy <laughs> and you guys uh, where'd you guys get married uh, here, I got um, a visa, K-1 visa, and brought him here. And now you guys are living and now happily have, ever after. Yes, with two lovely children, our home that we just purchased with nice. your help. <laughs> <laughs> and now your cousin Jenna's there. Yes, in the same ministry and the same school. So it's really cool to see that she is... And then she fell in love with the missionary boy there. As well, yeah. And now they're a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, right? David. Shout out to Jenna and David. Hey, Jenna. And shout out to El my sister-in-law, Elvina, oh. and Ina's cousin, Dana. They're there right now also. Wow. And they're there for a couple months as well. I didn't know so that. So they went, I think, for three months, and then they extended So they were supposed to be back beginning of December. Yeah. And it looks like they're coming towards, like, mid or end of January. So speaking of that, I do want to add, um, that's what I love about short-term missionaries. You come for two weeks, and you fall so deeply in love in two weeks with Kenya that you, you, you want to stay. And so many of the short-term missionaries that came ended up 
canceling their flight and staying for another month, another two, another six. And a lot of the people who came for short term are now full-time missionaries. So it is great to come for a short-term trip uh, because you never know if God's going to put it, that call in your heart to stay them full-time afterwards. So But then amazing. I think not everybody can, I guess, so maybe God does put a, on a person's heart that can handle that. Mm. But do you think for a lot of people, they wouldn't be able to handle a long-term <laughs> away from home for years at a time? There are people who are gifted, for example, in business. And we had this incredible guy come. His name is Sasha from Canada. And he came for two weeks. He saw the street kids. He was so in love with the street kids. He realized there has to be a ministry that's helping out street kids. And so, but he knew that he can't stay because he's a businessman who runs a really prestige company. And he knew that it's not his calling to stay, but he would sponsor the fi financially everything and as long as we ran this, the program. And so he organized everything. He continues to find sponsors for the program. He continues to provide his own financial help with the program. He checks in on us to see our progress, what we're doing with the street kids, what we're not doing. And um, from home, he's continuing to be a part of Kenya. And I think it's incredible that two-week trip completely added this huge calling into his life. Even though he's not present there, he's totally making a huge difference financially and just, you know, praying over it all the time. It's amazing what a short-term trip did for him. So so you would encourage people, even oh, sometimes yeah. when we come and take pictures and leave, there's still some benefit from from people coming? I think you have to be really, really wise about what group you're creating. And you really need to know their spiritual, um, just how they're doing spiritually before you let them. We've gone on a few trips um, to Mexico together with you mm -hmm. where we've had a drunk in our, and do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had one guy who uh, he had just finished rehab and um, he ended up going to a party at nighttime and uh, doing his thing while being a missionary, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, yeah, you have to be really, really wise about who you're going to let come with you um, on a mission trip. Um, because even though they're there for two weeks, they can really either hinder the other people's perspective of missionaries they will you know judge us more poorly if um the two-week missionaries make a lot of um silly mistakes that are going to cause um just a, a bad reputation in the long run for missionaries so you have to be cautious about that because i think for some of those people that come people that maybe don't go there for missions but parents send their mm. kids and they're hoping that they see the world and how other people live and how other people serve and hoping that this will encourage the kid and trigger the kid to change their life around to see that there is more meaning to life than just trouble back at home so would a kid like that parents sending a kid would it be wise for them to see the mission work or if they're not ready because it is a 
maybe in your experience more spiritual thing than just seeing people live poor poorly mm. would would you encourage that i think that's a hard question to answer obviously it would benefit the person who came um for the two-week trip it would be great for him because yes your your mind all of a sudden it starts to realize that there is something much more valuable than you know the the regular lifestyle that we often um, have in America um, but again if you're there for two weeks if you are unable in two weeks to share the gospel in such a way that it can um, truly bless the people who are there um, in the country that you came to serve in. I think that it really can hinder the people um, if you came with the wrong heart set um, to serve. So what would be an, an ideal, a great group of short-term missionary groups that come? So you're, you're there for a long time and a group comes. Would would you want their, I guess, spiritual attitude, <laughs> behavior be like to be of most benefit to people that are there long term? Not even mm -hmm. uh, not even locals that are there, but to be of the most benefit to the missionary group that's there long term. Because even what you mentioned before, it seems like it is like a, a boost that comes, a boost of energy and financial and spiritual mm -hmm. support. So how can that group be most effective and helpful to missionaries there? I think one of my favorite things um, is when a church is supporting a mission that is, you know, uh, um, in a different country, and they can bring representatives from that church um, that they trust to come and be helpful to the long-term missionaries. Um, because, like I mentioned earlier, there are tasks that we did not have time for, like building that church or building the school or um, organizing the camp. And the people who come, they have to have the right servant heart to know that those two weeks are crucial to really give it your all in those two weeks, to really two weeks is going to fly by so quickly, you know, like give it a hundred percent in those two weeks um, so that you can be a blessing to the missionaries so that you can be a blessing to the locals. Most of the time when you're going home from a two week trip, you're not going to remember a single name from that country that you visited mm -hmm. because you were there for too short to really bond with people to really build a relationship. Um, but the way that you expressed yourself, the way that you prayed, the way that you talked about the gospel, those are the things that are going to leave an impact on the people who are there. And they're going to be like, wow, I want to be like that person. If you come and you're too cool for school, and like, what good is that going to be for the youth ministry? Um, if you act, you know, you turn on your rep and you're just like being careless and you're just there for the the good vibe, the, the pictures, and you take a few pictures with the orphans to post on your social media, what, what, what effect did you leave for the people, you know? So that's why I think it is very, very crucial that the church is 
considerate about the people who they are blessing to go to uh, visit the long-term missionaries. The posting a couple cool, you know, taking a couple of selfies, cool pictures, and posting on social me- media and coming back home. Is it more of a running joke that us church kids here have? The kind of, oh, yeah, you just went there to take pictures with third world country kids and come back and pretend that you did something there? Mm. Is it more of a joke that we have? Or do locals notice that as well? Is that a common thing where they're like, well, they're just here to take pictures with us? Or is it something that we notice, but locals don't really see it as, I guess, that bad or disrespectful the way we see it? I mean, locals laugh at white people who come and do their thing. Um, They also know that this is a great opportunity to take advantage of some people. If um, there are those kind of uh, people who are drawing attention to themselves. Um, Just, you know, they, they will come and manipulate you with their stories and make up, you know, the silliest things, you know, my... My grandma died, my dad died, my mom died, and I don't have any money. I'm living on the street. She doesn't live on the street. She lives at home. She's fine, you know. The, mm-hmm. But she'll make up a story and give you the, you know, the puppy dog eyes so that, you know, your your careless um, heart that isn't really um, careful about, you know, making good decisions, all of a sudden you gave her $50.00. $50 is huge money in Kenya, you know, and and if you gave her $50, all of a sudden, uh, every Kenyan is going to run up and think that, okay, we have to be around these people and uh, receive as much as possible before they leave. And it's not about the gospel anymore. It's all about what can I benefit with financially, uh, humanitarian aid, how much clothes can I get for myself while they're here? You know, they're, you just stole their opportunity from hearing the gospel because you came with the wrong um, just uh, mindset and your, your, your heart is not in the right place. If you're coming for two weeks, yes, you can build a house. Maybe you're not a preacher and you're coming just to be in the construction field, um, but your heart, your mind, your conversation has to really um, shine Jesus to these people. Otherwise, it really isn't any good that you came. I know yeah. that sounds terrible, but it really is the so truth. So would, would I be right to summarize, the, the, if I understand it correctly, that if you are short-term going to help support the long-term missionary group that you're in in a way in total submission Mm -hmm. to the people that are there because they know the locals they know the people they know the cultural norms that you don't go behind maybe their back or trying to do something on your own because you're not familiar with the people and the culture and the area there do you do everything through the people that are already there and know the area and the people locals there. A hundred percent. I, if you go, if you, you know, come to a new mission here in, in, in America, you don't try to change, you know, if I go to the homeless outreach here in America, I don't try to completely change the leader's mindset on 
how to do things or I don't try to do my own thing on the side of her ministry. I'm going to do it the way that she runs the mission, you know, or he, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but um, in the same way, when you come to Kenya, you are new to that environment. You can be easily um, swayed in that kind of environment and you should be really, you know, um, respectful to what kind of um, what what the plan is already um, of the the, the long-term missionaries and do and do do, you, as do you have any, do you have any examples that come to mind of locals coming and doing something that you're like well you thought you were helping you thought you're doing something good but you cause more damage yeah. than help I mean a lot of the time they come and they go immediately to the store and they start buying these big bags of food. First of all, we already have a widow's program and an orphan's program. And the Bible says to take care of the widowed and the orphaned, right? So we already have a program. We have a list of people who, um, I'm saying we as if I'm still there, but in my heart I am. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> when we were there, <laughs> um, but anyways, we would have a list and we would know, um, you know, we had built such a trust with the people that we would know who genuinely needs our help. And so we would um, every month there would be a widow who, uh, you know, the widows would come and they would get their care package from us um, of the shampoo and the beans and rice and the things that we um, calculated so that every single time um, it's a fair amount to every single person who would come to through. Um, whereas some of the missionaries that came for short term decided that they really want to show that they gave hundreds of people food and they would just hand it out like gold you know just left and right left and right and you you're looking at that and you're like you're making it harder on us why because when they leave after their amazing heroic two-week trip we're there long term and those people from then on out will always expect us to do what they did and that's unfair to us because that is not what we're there for. There's a. It's not sustainable. Yeah, there's a, a one of my favorite quotes um, ever since being in Kenya is, um, "Don't give someone a fish, teach them how to fish." So we have different programs that we would do on, you know, how to sew needles, um, uh, uh, how to sew so that um, you can make money by, you know, sewing up somebody's dress or seamstress. Um, we had a computer program. We would teach people how to type so that they can, you know, do some kind of odd jobs with typing. We had um, where we got a mechanic, and he started showing some of the guys in our um, church how to fix the car. Um, so we have programs where we're teaching people how they can financially help themselves. If we're going to be there just handing out humanitarian aid, then our purpose of sharing the gospel will be completely lost because we will just be the handout people. Mm -hmm. There's enough um, non-Christian ministries in the world who are already doing humanitarian aid. Humanitarian aid should never be our focus, our priority. It should always be the gospel first. And then we see 
if someone genuinely needs some help, how we can help them so that they can, you know, live a better life and receive the gospel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's helpful when humanitarian aid is there because it draws people in and then more and more people are sitting there at church service to hear the gospel. But most of the time, those ears are closed if they came with the wrong intention mm -hmm. of just receiving something. Got it. When these uh, short-term groups come, one of the arguments is, mm. why send 7, 10, 15 teenagers? They're going to goof off, take selfies, don't care what they're doing there, and return and come back. Wouldn't it be worth it to just take all the money they spent on coming there and send it over to the group? But I guess to, you, to be more specific and to differentiate, Okay, yes, there could be a teenagers that don't care to come there, take cool pictures because their parents encourage them, maybe, you know, force them to come, and they came there to just hang out. But what about for the people that are solid, mature group of people that came to minister mm -hmm. to the missionaries there, to the locals there, with good hearts and good attitude? Is, is that group even worth coming or it's like, yes, I know you guys are great people and you want to help, but we can benefit with the twenty, thirty thousand dollars mm -hmm. a lot more than you guys coming. So the argument is that it's not worth sending people, just send them the money. I think it is always worth um if the right group comes. Um yeah, it is financially uh very, very expensive to send a group of two week trip uh missionaries. You know, they they spend much more in two weeks than we probably do in six months. Um, but what there, I mean, I mentioned it earlier. Um, fresh faces are nice to listen to. When I remember, um, I've always gone to the same church. And I remember my first uh, experience stepping out um, of my Ukrainian church that I grew up in. And I came to Mark Driscoll's church. And I'm pretty sure that uh, my Ukrainian church had talked about grace before. Mm -hmm. But the way that Mark Driscoll shared about grace that evening, like it just stayed so strongly engraved inside of me for the rest of, you know, my life because because I had never heard it explained in such a way. And so I think that a fresh face who is sharing the gospel can oftentimes say something that um, you heard repetitively so many times, but it didn't touch your heart in such a way that that two-week trip did for, for you, or that person who came on the two-week trip did for them. So um, fresh face is amazing. Um, but it's not only amazing for the locals, it's also amazing for uh, the missionaries. We're also burnt out. We see the same faces all the time. And seeing some people who come who are also white, <laughs> which I know sounds racist, but, you know, it's your, your own people. And they come and you get to have good conversations with these people. You get to have, you know, nighttime tea, play some games with these people. And you have a really good um, time also benefiting, growing from um, the, the time that they came 
and also they help with the projects that have been long delayed because we didn't have enough hands to do um, those projects. So it's great. Obviously, there are a lot of work. You have to plan in detail every minute, every hour of what they're going to be doing um, when they come, which is stressful because, uh, you know, sometimes we don't have enough tasks. We already have that one person doing that task and you have to hand them your own task because, you know, you have to have something for them to do. (laughs) So it, it gets a little bit hard to plan everything out for them but overall it is very beneficial if the right group comes and serves so i would say yes missionary short term should come even though it's expensive tanya thank you for your time we learned a lot thank you (laughs) i hope so (laughs) and we're out Ah! wasn't it fun no i swallowed so much spit